0: the pain and sorrow may everyone overcome all their difficulties may our visions see only auspicious sights. may everyone's dreams and hopes come true may everyone everywhere be glad <clears throat> may it rain at the right time this is about uh, climate change may it rain at the right time may the earth always be bountiful may all the countries be free from strife may everyone worship without persecution and so on, it's a beautiful, you called the universal prayer. So, welcome everyone. I'll, I like to begin my programs as I always do by uh, quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began every program by saying in Hindi, swagat." With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. I would always say that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. And so uh, I've been doing a a very long series on the great beings, which means drawing on the teachings and telling the stories about the great beings, the great siddhas, uh, the enlightened beings, the realizers, the great yogis and sages. Who attained the goal of the inner quest, um, and I've been a long-time, very great fan of theirs. Uh, when I first heard about them many years ago, before I went to India, from the American yogi Ramdas, and uh, he made me understand that great beings of that level were still alive on the planet, who understood what life is about, who understood the meaning of life, who understood how to attain the goal of happiness in the most simple fashion. Uh, and I thought, I've got to put myself near such a being and learn those arts. So in these programs, I always celebrate the great beings. Mostly, I celebrate my guru, Baba Muktananda, and his great guru, Bhagwan Nityananda, uh, but also some other favorites, And one of them, the earliest Indian sage that I became interested in, also because Ramdas told me about him, was the great Ramana Maharshi, the great sage of the 20th century. Um, And uh, what do we have? We have a picture of him? Uh, Very familiar, beautiful face kindly and profoundly wise, uh, marvelous being. He lived from about 1880 to 1950 in South India. And of course his story, uh, I always have to tell it. I feel always like the ancient mariner has to keep telling his tale over and over again. But he, he spontaneously realized the absolute when he was 16 years old. I just sort of fell into a, a trance and he was forever established in the self after a process, an inner process of about 20 minutes or a half hour in which he asked himself profoundly the question, who am I? And they say that uh, that sages always teach the path that they walked, So that became the essential teaching. Those 20 minutes led to his essential teaching for the... Uh, rest of his life, to investigate, who am I? And a lot of times we, uh, we identify ourselves with our country, with our religion, with our political party, with our profession, with our family, with our physical characteristics, all kinds of things we identify with, but the sages say, well, Ramana would say, if you said to him, well, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other, he'd say, go deeper deeper, who are you most fundamentally, most profoundly, most essentially, find that sense of I, and that is the the sense of I, which is universal consciousness or the universal self. And so he always directed people to know the true self, not the social roles, not even the sexual identity, but the true self beyond all of that. And that was his path. Now, last week, uh, I, I uh, looked at some of the teachings of Sri Ramana. That's another picture of him. Oh, here he is, yeah. This is relatively late in his life. Um, <clears throat> but last week, uh, we looked at some of the letters from a woman named Suri Nagama. Do you have her picture? There she is. Not too many pictures of Suri Nagama. But uh, she's a great woman who uh, wrote letters, lived in the ashram with Sri Ramana, and wrote letters to her brother very frequently and told things that were going on and what Ramana was doing. She's a great devotee of Ramana. She told, and are such charming tales that after last week, I thought, more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> you know that reference? <laughs> yeah. I thought, I've got a burning inside more cowbell. Uh, so I, I said, we'll do it one more time. Uh, I'd love to hear from Suri Nagam on her account of, uh, of uh, Bhagwan Ramana Maharshi. So these are some stories. I'm going to give you a choice a little later on. Uh, but here's one from Suri. I, I didn't tell you who she is. I, I did last week. Uh, But she was uh, an unlettered woman from South India who was married at a very early age as was the wont there. Um, uh, And she was widowed at the age of 12 or something like that. Uh, And so there was no question of remarrying her. And so she was destined to be a widow for the rest of her life. she turned to spirituality. She taught herself to read, and she read spiritual books, and she became tremendously interested. Eventually, her brother met Ramana, and she eventually ended up at Ramana's ashram, where she spent the rest of her days, uh, and then wrote these letters to him, which have put together and become a marvelous volume of stories about Ramana. And it shows that she had uh, great insight, great humor, and great understanding. So here's one of them. This is uh, dated the 28th of March, 1947. So these would have been uh, towards the end of Ramana's life. He died in 1950. Uh, Suri Nagama writes, yesterday, a youth arrived from Andhra Pradesh, one of the states of India. From his looks, he appeared to be (laughs) simple-minded. He approached Bhagwan this morning and asked, Swamiji, I came here 10 months ago for your darshan. I got a desire to have your darshan again now, and I immediately set out and came here. I could not delay, even for a moment. Can I do so in the future whenever I have such a desire? So he's asking, what is he asking? Bhagwan, for permission to come again. It's very curious what Bhagwan, when I say Bhagwan, we usually mean Bhagwan Nityananda, I said, but... But we call, uh, Ramana is called Bhagwan in his book. Um, Bhagwan replied, you won't be ready, you won't, you'll be surprised by this. He says, whatever happens, happens. Everything happens according to what we deserve. Why worry in advance about it? How would you react to an answer like that? So he said, again he asked, Can I come whenever I have such a desire at a time in the future? Or should I suppress the desire? Like, come on, Bhagwan, give me an answer. Bhagwan says, things happen of their own accord. (laughs) If you stop thinking ahead to the future, he replied. Question. I'm not able to suppress this desire even for a moment. Is it self-deception? Bhagwan looked, now Suri Nagama writes, Bhagwan looked at me with a smile and said, so he turns to, to Suri Nagama and says, it seems he came here some time ago and again had a desire to come here now. And he came immediately. He's asking me whether he may do so whenever he has such a desire in the future. He's telling her, what's going on there? You know, Put it in your letter. The youth intervened at that point and said, whenever I get the desire to see Bhagawan, I'm not able to control it even for a moment. I'm only asking whether it is mere mental delusion. So Sui Nagama says, I said, how can a desire to have darshan of a great person be mere mental delusion? While there are many delusions of the mind to be controlled and suppressed, does this desire alone appear to you to be a mental delusion? There was no further question. So what actually happened there? She, Bhagwan, must have turned to her to do it, handle it. The Bhagwan didn't want to, um, uh, he wanted deniability. <laughs> he didn't want to say, yes, it's good for you to come here. That's too arrogant for Bhagwan. But she came and she nailed it. <clears throat> there were some Andhra visitors in the hall who'd come there on pilgrimage, same day, I guess. One of them got up and asked, Swamiji, how does the soul attain peace? Bhagwan replied, laughing, what? What is peace for the soul? Visitor, no, no, I mean for the mind, said Bhagwan, saying, soul's already at peace. The mind. Bhagavan says, oh, for the mind. The mind attains peace if the vasanas are suppressed. The vasanas are all the tendencies and thought forms that, and obsessions. So if you control the mind, control the obsessions, then you have peace. For that, Ramana says, for that one must inquire and realize who one is. How can there be peace by merely saying, I want peace, I want peace? without first inquiring, what is peace? First make efforts to recognize and realize what already exists. So stop yakking and thinking and obsessing and turn within and discover the inner truth. There was a pundit among them, a scholar, you might say. Pundit among them, he, he asked, Life itself becomes extremely hard in some places. How is one to perform sadhana in such places? And he doesn't mean uh, metaphorically places. He meant actual physical places. And Ramana replied, Bhagwan replied, the place is within you. You are not in the place. When you're in all places, where is the question of difficulties? When you are in all places, Where's the question of difficulties in some places and not in others? Well, at at the very least, it means that wherever you go, you are there. You bring yourself with you. You bring your mind with you. But Bhagavan would say that everything exists within your own awareness. That you don't move by the train, the train moves in you. All are within yourself. How can they cause you difficulties? And he was sharing his vision that everything is within consciousness. But we get no peace of mind at all in some places, the pundit said. Bhagwan replies, that which always exists is peace. That is your natural state. You're not able to recognize your natural state. You get deluded by aberrations which are unreal and feel sorry that there's no peace. If you realize yourself, all places will become equally suitable for sadhana. That was one of the teachings, not that specific one, but that idea that that the sages say that our natural state is peace. This is extraordinary for me to contemplate during the early days of my sadhana because my mind tormented me. There was so much difficulty, so much worry, so much uh, self-doubt and so on. And, this, and Baba would say, my nature is peace, my nature is joy, and that I'm somehow doing some activity to make myself miserable through my mental activities. So it's a wonderful dharana that your natural state is peace let's contemplate that let's do a dharana a quick meditation say to yourself my natural state is peace whatever agitation there is whatever worry you have you have some concern about this that what what are your concerns about money and health and relationships and reputation and that's it. it all can be summed up in a few uh boring words. So whatever that is, more fundamentally, there's peace underneath it, which is our true nature. And this is true of every one of us. So say to yourself, my natural state is peace before I muck it up with my brain. My natural state is peace. Let's contemplate that for 20 seconds or so. Okay. All right, next one. This is uh, September 1948. A few days ago, an astrologer came here, she writes her brother. At about 10 a.m., the day after his arrival, he asked Bhagwan several questions on astrology and obtained suitable replies. I give below a brief report of that conversation. The astrologer. You say that what is to happen will happen, and what is not to happen will not happen. If that is so, let me just check that last one. Maybe he was listening to that. Can I see the last one? This is 20 September 1948. No. Nope. I think Bhagwan usually did say that. Whatever is to happen is to happen. <clears throat> anyway, so he's saying that whatever is happening, whatever is not to happen will not happen. If that is so, Why should it be said that good deeds must be done? Bhagavan says, if something good is done, it results in happiness. Hence, people say good deeds must be done. You don't have to do them, but if you want to be happy, you should do good deeds. Astrology, yes, that is why elders say that sorrow is adventitious. It means... uh, it's uh, not your essential nature. It means it's kind of an accident, not your essence. Bhagwan says, that is so. Sorrow is adventitious. It is only happiness that is natural. That's a mind-blowing understanding from our point of view, isn't it? Extraordinary. That sorrow is adventitious, that the misery and suffering is just an accident. That what is natural is the state of peace and joy. How complex we've become uh, to get so far away from that. Bhagwan says, every living being desires happiness because his natural state is the embodiment of happiness. That's why we want happiness. We know that that is our natural state. It's another wonderful thought. All spiritual efforts, all sadhanas, Offer for for overcoming adventitious sorrow. When a headache comes on casually, you have to get rid of it by medicine. If it is a permanent ailment of the body attached to it from birth to death, why should you try to get rid of it? Why do sadhana if your suffering is permanent? Just as boils and other diseases of the body are cured by a doctor's treatment, Sorrows, which are the result of various difficulties, can be overcome by sadness, specially aimed at them. By doing inner practice, by meditation, by mantra repetition, by right understanding, misery and suffering can be overcome. This body itself is a disease. (laughs) The root cause of it is ignorance. If for that ignorance, the medicine Called wisdom is administered, all inherent diseases will disappear at once. So if you know the truth, all diseases of the spirit disappear. Questioner, is it possible to get immediate results by sadhana? Immediate results by spiritual practice? Immediate. Bhagwan: some yield immediate results and some do not. That depends upon the intensity or otherwise, of the sadhana. Depends on how much you give yourself to it. If good acts or evil acts are done with great intensity, the results will manifest themselves immediately. So if you do great acts with intensity or bad acts, you'll get the results. Otherwise, the results are slow. The results, however, necessarily follow. It cannot be helped. And this is saying exactly what Baba used to say. And Baba even told me one time, if you do good actions, if you meditate, if you do mantra repetition, if you think about the spirit, those actions have to bear fruit. It may take a while, but don't think about that. Just keep doing the good actions, and they must be bear, bear fruit. It's the law of the, of the universe. OK, now we come, let's see how far we're going. <clears throat> Come to a fork in the road. Uh, I'll let you choose. The, I have some extraordinarily charming stories. One is about when Ramana first got to the, to the mountain when he was 16 years old. He was in such a deep trance. He just fell into a trance, and he didn't have any concern for his body. And he didn't take a bath for about two years or something like that And uh, never uh, cut his hair and so on. So there's a charming story of his first haircut and his first bath. That's one. And there's an equally charming story of his relationship with a dog. (laughs) Both are wonderful stories. (laughs) Oh, I really walked into it, didn't I? Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, well, okay. Oh, what the hell! Come on. It's what? It's
1: impossible
0: to choose. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, let me skip this one. This uh, one, which uh, uh, Surinagama, you know, Ramana um, moved from uh, his normal hall. There were more people coming, so he went to what they call the Jubilee Hall. Do we have a picture of that? I don't think you, re- yeah, he's sitting there. You don't really get a, the idea, but, but there were a lot of um, plants around and all kinds of things. And uh, one day in a, in a paroxysm of devotion, she started uh, um, saying how glorious the scene is, how beautiful, how wonderful. They need to have a photograph. And uh, then they all agreed we need to have, need to have a photograph Uh, And then uh, um, Ramana started telling stories. Okay. He says, um, he started relating some stories of his early life. He says, as you know, I was in the the mango grove uh, for some time. That's on the holy mountain of Arunachala. He moved around that mountain different places. At that time also, I had a small shed under a mango tree. They erected something overhead like a nest to prevent rain falling on me. There was, however, not enough space even to stretch my legs fully while sleeping. I used to sit, to be sitting almost all the time like a bird in its nest. Opposite my shed, Palini Swami also had a small shed. In that huge garden, only two of us used to stay. And then uh, Nagama says, It's nice to see the young guru and the old shishas together under the banyan tree. That's a quote from some scripture. She says, it used to be like that, I suppose. Did anyone take a photo at that time? Ramana says, no, where were photos in those days? Addressing his attendant, he said, see, she says a photo must be taken of this site. So she's pushing for a photo. We shall arrange for it this afternoon, said Ramchandra Ayer. <clears throat> so, he, so he agrees. Looking at the trees and recalling past incidents once again, Bhagwan said, that mango tree also had small fruits like this. They used to drop on top of my shed, now and then, creating a sound like tup tup. Even though they got ripe, the outer cover was green. After they were sufficiently ripe, they used to be plucked and kept in storage until fully ripe. In the meantime, you know what used to happen? Bats used to come in the nights, nibble at all the ripe mangoes, eat a bit of each and throw it down. The balance fell to our lot. That means it was Prasad from the bats. (laughs) In light of our present predicament, that's... uh... (laughs) <laughs> God knows. <clears throat> when he heard this, Ramchandra Ayer asked, did that gardener ever give you, give you any fruit? Ramana said, he used to tell us to take the fruit from the trees when we felt like it, but we never touched them. We had the bats, Prasad, you see. When they got fully ripe on the tree itself, they were delicious. Is that not enough? Those thatched sheds and that nature's beauty gave us immense joy, said Bhagavan. So then the next day, this is what happened. She wrote another letter. She writes, after writing to you yesterday afternoon about the grandeur of Bhagwan's surroundings in the Jubilee Hall, I went to the ashram a little later than usual. She was living off site. As soon as he saw me, Bhagwan said, Ramchandra Ayer uh, has just taken a photo. <laughs> uh, being summer and already hot, Krishna Swami sprinkled water on the rush screen at the back of Bhagwan's sofa and also on the crotons. Is that kind of plant? Crotons, you know? Plant, yeah. What kind of plant? A small plant. Okay. Which were behind the screen. The spray from the sprinkling fell on Bhagwan and he rubbed it on his body saying, See, they are abhisheking me. (laughs) That incident seemed to remind him of something that happened in the past. For with smiles all over his face and with appropriate gestures, he told us the following story. After I came to this place, Jivanamalai, I had no bath for four months. One day when I was in the compound of the Arunachula Temple, uh, and there's a big temple in the town nearby there. And don't forget, he's, he, came and he he fell into a deep trance. His state was so deep and that he just lost all body consciousness, so he wasn't concerned with his body, his nails grew, everything. Uh, A devotee by the name of Panu Swami, the wife of a devotee, came unexpectedly, pulled me along, made me sit, cleaned my head with soap, soap nut powder, there's soap nut powder again, and gave me a bath. She'd been coming to the temple every now and then, so I had thought she'd come as usual. But that day, she'd come here prepared. That was my first bath. I asked, were you bathing regularly every day afterwards? Suri, yes. Bhagwan said, no, there was no question of a bath. Who was to make me bathe? Who was the one to bathe? After that, a year or so passed in the same way. <laughs> He really had no, had no body consciousness, huh? <clears throat> I'd been in a particular cave for some time, you see, and not many people came there, and no one bothered me. That's what he liked. <laughs> Even so, a lady by the name of Menakshi, who used now and then to bring food to give me, one day brought a large pot and began to boil water. I thought it was for some use for herself. But taking from a basket some oil, soap, nut, etc., she said, Swami, please come. I did not move. But would she keep quiet? She pulled me by the arm, made me sit, smeared the oil all over my body and bathed me. The hair on my head, which had nodded for want of care, was now spread out and hung down like the mane of a lion. (laughs) That was my second bath. After that, Pulani Swami came, and everything was adjusted to routine of daily baths that it came as attendant. <laughs> this is ador or what? I said, this incident is not found in your biography." <laughs> no, that's so, said Bhagwan. It was never written. <clears throat> Shaving was also like that. The shave I had the day I came here has been recorded. The day he came, they shaved his head and. The second was after a year and a half. The hair had gotten matted and woven like a basket. Small stones and dust had settled down in it, and the head used to feel heavy. I also had long nails and a frightful appearance. (laughs) So people pressed me to have a shave, and I yielded. When my head was shaven clean, I began to wonder whether I had a head or not. It felt so light. I shook my head this way and that to assure myself that it was there. (laughs) He became the headless one. That showed the amount of burden I'd been carrying on my head. A devotee asked, during those one and a half years, did nobody try to get your head shaved? Ramana said, yes, indeed, they did try. When I was in the Subramanya temple, one Nilakanta Ayer, The grandfather of a lawyer of the same name now practicing used to come there frequently. One day he came prepared for the purpose. Thinking he'd come as usual, I kept my eyes closed. Without saying a word to me, he stood some way off opposite me. I heard a tip-top behind me. I opened my eyes. I saw a barber sharpening his razor. (laughs) I left the spot immediately without saying a word. (laughs) Poor man, he realized I was not willing to be shaved and also, and so had to go off. Ponyaswami's wife alone would not leave me alone until I took a bath. Oh, she's the only one who insisted. When she dragged me, pulling me by the arm, what was I to do? And uh, perhaps she felt you were like a child, I said. That's, uh, sorry. Yes," said Bhagavan. The story finished. Bhagavan was once more silent. Nice. Okay. All right. Now the the other one. <clears throat> I'll let. Uh, it's a really good story. Let me see. Where did I give it? Is it there? No. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I'll have Davy Ma read it. Here it is, this is it. She's never seen it before. But I'll let her read it because uh, I like dog stories. <clears throat> All right, do you enjoy these? Yeah. yeah. Great stuff. I've got a copy of it here. Okay.:
1: You have seen Jagadishwara Shastri, haven't you? When he was here.:
0: Ramana's is telling the story..: Yeah.
1: When he was here, a dog used to go into the hall with him. It was oh a No.:
0: criti- I'm wrong. This is Suri this is Nagama telling the story to her brother, and she knows this person named uh, Jagadishwara Shastri.
1: It was a particularly intelligent dog. When Shastri or his wife came into Bhagwan's hall, it used to come in and sit like a well-behaved child and go out along with them. It was very keen on living in the house. People did whatever they could to prevent it entering the hall, but it was no use. (laughs) Once the old couple entrusted it to somebody when they went to Madras and did not return for 15 days, at first during the first four or five days it used to search in the halls go round the hall and then go out go about all the places which they used to frequent having got tired perhaps disgusted with those fruitless efforts one morning at about 10 o'clock it came to Bhagwan's sofa and stood there <laughs> 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 staring fixedly at Bhagwan At that time, I was sitting (laughs) in the front row. Bhagwan was reading the paper. Krishna Swami and others tried to send the dog out by threats, but in vain. I too asked it to go out. No, it wouldn't move. Bhagwan's attention was diverted by this hubbub, and he looked that way. Bhagwan observed for a while the look of the dog and our excitement. He then put the paper aside and, as if he had, by his silence, understood the language of the dog, waved his hand towards it and said, Why? What is the matter? You are asking where your people have gone. Oh, I see. I understand. They have gone to Madras. They will be back in a week. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Be calm. Is it all right? Now go. Hardly had Bhagwan completed his instructions when the dog turned and left the place. (laughs) Soon after that, Bhagwan remarked to me, Do you see that? The dog is asking me where its people have gone and when they are returning. However much the people here tried to send it away, it wouldn't move until I answered its questions.
0: I think it's very cute that he's always turning to... Suri and, you know, commenting on it and uh, sharing with her. Yeah, yeah.
1: Once, it seems, the lady of the house punished the dog with a cane for something it had done and locked it up in a room for half a day. After it was let out, it came straight to Bhagawan as if to complain against her and stayed at the ashram without going to their house for four or five days. <laughs> Bhagwan arranged to feed the dog and admonished the lady thus, what have you done to the dog? Why is it angry with you? It came and complained to me.
0: <laughs>
1: Why? What have you done? Finally, she admitted her fault in Bhagwan's presence and with a good deal of cajoling, got the dog to go home.
0: <laughs> good, no? All right, let's meditate. <laughs> Did you want to see a of
1: Bhagwan
0: and the dog? Ah, Bhagwan and the dog, yes. That's not, that's not the same dog. But
1: we, don't know. Well, we don't know. We don't know.
0: Let's say it is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> there was a story with that dog, so who you
0: knows? No, there's another story. Yes, there's another story with the dog. Okay, so I think I've had enough cowbell for now, but I'll want that cowbell again. Huh? Aren't they lovely stories? You get not only the wisdom of Bhagwan, but you get so much uh, humanity and sweetness. So let's meditate for 10 minutes. and uh, Let's try to do Bhagwan's technique, which is simply to hold the I sense. To turn within and feel the I. Feel what it is to say I, I am. And hold on to that I-sense. When other thoughts arise, just let them go. And just hold on to the sense of subjectivity, the sense of I am. In his words, the I, 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 I. And we'll meditate for 10 minutes. Meditate on the self. Once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sarpatna Taharaj KJ let's meditate